Conflict is inevitable and actually super valuable if you respond to it well. On today's show, I welcome back my friend Susan Gerke, an expert on teams, to help us discover how to practically benefit the most from conflict. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 263. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to help you develop your leadership skills. And one of the topics that comes up often in conversations that I have with leaders and certainly has come up many times on the show in the past is the topic of conflict. What do we do when we need to navigate the inevitable conflict that shows up in just about every, I shouldn't say just about every single organization and in a lot of the interactions that leaders have, if not on a daily basis, certainly on a weekly and monthly basis. And as I was looking back on the library of episodes on the show. We certainly mentioned conflict many times, but as I was planning with our guest today, I realized we have never done an entire show on conflict. Susan, I think that just means I'm avoiding conflict. Hey, Is that what that means? That, that might be what that's about. <laughs> I am so glad to welcome back to the show for her fifth appearance world record setting, Susan Gerke. Susan is a very talented facilitator, trainer, consultant, who Bonnie and I have worked with a number of times over the years on many, many projects. Susan, I could read your professional bio, but I think of you more as a friend than I do as a a colleague, although um, you are such a talented facilitator. And Susan's probably one of the most talented facilitators I've ever met in working with teams and working with executive teams. And she's been on the show several times before talking about setting expectations with teams and a number of different strategies on how to lead and manage teams. Well, we're going to put all the links in the show notes, but you're back today to talk us through conflict and how we can navigate conflict and some of the ways we can uh, think about conflict. And so I'm really not looking forward to this conversation. Because <laughs> it's hard. It's it is hard, hard, isn't it? it? It's hard for all of us, I think, or at least most of us. I, I, I was thinking about this as we were getting, as we were talking through what we were going to discuss today. I think we all like to think that we handle conflict well. And I think many of us have learned good strategies over the years to navigate, especially a lot of people listen to the show. We, we've learned how to deal with conflict. But I think for most of us, it's still something that when we we have it in front of us and we know we need to do something with it, there's that tendency to like, what am I going to do? And that hesitation or that overreaction. And so I, I think maybe it might be helpful just to kind of start and lay the landscape here a little bit of, um, you know, what is conflict? What are we talking about? And how to even look at how to even approach this? You know, it's, it's interesting, Dave. Research actually shows that 20% of our workday is spent resolving conflict. Oh, Think wow. of that. That's one day out of five then at work. And some of us, certainly, it's probably more than that based on our role. I think managers often get involved in more maybe than people who aren't in manager roles. Or maybe you have a, a job or a role where really what you are supposed to do is resolve conflicts between groups and so on. But just 
in general, if we think our average is one day out of five, that's a lot of time on conflict. And for sometimes, if you think about the conflicts that you're running into as you're listening to this uh, show, some of you may find a lot of the conflicts are about the work or the work processes, right? We have different goals that we're after, or we're really confused about the roles, who was supposed to do what, and so we're either too many people doing the same thing or stuff falling through the cracks. We have different ideas about how to do things. We have different processes that we prefer. So sometimes conflicts about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Sometimes conflicts more about the interpersonal personality issues. We certainly talked about that on this show in the past. I just don't like you for some reason. There's a chemistry issue, or maybe we have some history that goes way back that one or both of us isn't willing to let go of. So, you know, we, we use the word conflict to mean actually a lot of different interactions. It doesn't look the same all the time, and it's certainly some far more emotion-based and some a little bit more logic-based. So, so I think there's... Uh, it's worth spending some time helping people think about how they think about conflict. Yeah, and I, I was uh, interested. You were telling me a story of an executive team you had worked with in the past where they were doing well with kind of navigating some of the work stuff, but there was uh, unfortunately just so much baggage from the interpersonal things and, and over 15, 20, 25 yeah. years of, of things that people were still holding on to that ultimately they weren't really able to work through a lot of that just because so much of that had been held on to. And so it really is a, uh, it is hard. It's hard to, it's hard and sometimes not surmountable when there's that history yeah. there in, in some situations. So I think one of the things that's really, um, that's really key for us is thinking through like, Understanding our own role in conflict too, because I think that there's the tendency for a lot of us, I know for me, for sure, anytime something comes up that's a conflict in nature is to think of, oh, why are they wrong? And, and all and you know it's it's easy to like start the list of all the reasons that this person's wrong. And I've been fortunate over the years of being around Dale Carnegie and 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 folks like you, Susan, that I've I've learned to, even though that's still my first reaction <laughs> as a human being, mm-hmm. I very quickly will go to, okay, what, how did I maybe play a role in this? Yeah. Where did I contribute? Tell us more about that of how does contribution come into play here as far as thinking about conflict? Yeah, it, it, I think it's a really critical thing that we think about, uh, Dave. And I, I'd like to have people think about it in two ways if we could today. Okay. The, the First thing, uh, let's just do a really quick exercise. And everybody listening, I want you to do this for a moment. Think of the words that are in your head right now as you think of the word conflict. I do this exercise all the time when I'm doing uh, workshops with, with groups. And here's a lot of the words I hear. Fight, stress, unproductive, anger, right? So I get lots and lots of negative words. Now that that's not to say I don't get positive words as well. Somebody will come up with solutions, opportunity, collaboration, right? So we get those as well. But about 75% or more of the words that I hear from people are the more negative ones. So now all of you, what kind of words were you just thinking of? And do you tend to have just a negative aspect in your head about conflict, just as you said, Dave, oh, you know, I get in a situation and my first reaction is to not want to go there, to be concerned about it. And then, gee, I've learned some ways to not have to go there. I believe that 
one of the reasons we have a negative perspective on conflict, a lot of us is we've got experiences that support that. <laughs> we've had bad experiences, right? We've yeah. had things go really south when we've engaged in a conflict um, in maybe not the most productive way. When well, I think a lot of us too have been either taught or socialized, I'm not even sure where it comes from. I mean, I can only think of my own experience, but to be taught that conflict is bad and conflict, we should avoid conflict. And but it's it's interesting to me how often when we get in conflict and there's someone or an entity or a colleague who right away wants to uh, fix it or at least window dress it and like let's make this go away as quickly as we can and get back to a point of quote-unquote normalcy. Yeah. Why do we do that? Well, I, I, I think it's our history, right, that says it's better when it's not happening, so let's make it go away. I also think we just don't see, many of us, the opportunity that really is there when there are differences. I mean, let's think about what conflict is. Unfortunately, our country has used the word conflict to minimize war, with the Vietnam conflict, right? Mm. It wasn't really called the Vietnam War a lot. So we get that in our heads as well. But let's think about, if you think about conflict as being situations where people have different goals, different interests, different perspectives, what would the world be like if everybody agreed on everything all the time? There was no differences, therefore no conflict. Wouldn't be a good place at all. Boring, right? Yeah. No innovation, no creativity. You'd say, let's do this. And we just go, of course, right? So so intellectually, I think we really understand the value of differences. The challenge is we don't know how to manage it yeah. in a way that's productive and comes out as a solution, an opportunity, and so on. Uh, we re We act from our emotional space. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, you said something a moment ago, and I was thinking... It, sometimes we do have different goals. Sometimes the overall goal is still the same, even within the organization or the team. It's just the the disagreement on how we do that or who does it this way or how we navigate it is, is sometimes the goal isn't even that different. It's just, how do we, how do we process it? Exactly. Or, or have we even talked about what the goal is and we're make, making assumptions about what you want versus what I want and we're not really clear. Yeah. One of the models you taught me years ago, and I've actually gone on to teach clients and I've been really glad to have this model, is how we, our orientation toward conflict and the, I think you called it a blame, blame frame or the aim frame. Yeah. Am I remembering that right? Yes. Uh, could you teach us that? Because I think that that's a really helpful, for me at least, that was a really helpful way to think about how do I shift my thinking on how I orient myself around conflict. Yeah, because this really comes back to the second thing I think in terms of your contribution to conflict. Do you bring an aim frame or a blame frame? So, so let's make up a situation where two people, Joe and Mary, are having a conflict. And so here I am, I'm going to come in and try and help, maybe because they've invited me to, right? When I come with a blame frame, I would start with the question, what's wrong? And of course, what are they going to tell me? What's wrong with the other person? Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll hear a lot of stuff, including, well, he said, she said kind of a thing. Then the second question we ask in a blame frame is, well, whose fault is it? Now, if you don't think of this from a work point of view, you certainly remember this from growing up or from raising your children, right? Who started it? Who, you know, when we try and figure out that. Right, right. And then the third thing in a blame frame is we, we try and figure out then how are we going to punish whoever was at fault? And 
we know how we punish our children. We don't let them play video games or they have to go to bed without dessert or, you know, we, we know how to do that. But I promise you, we, we blame, we punish people at work as well. We forget haha to invite them to the next meeting or we leave them off the distribution list for an important memo or that kind of stuff. So we have ways to punish people at work as well. And we do. My concern is at the end of the blame frame, what do we have? At not a great resolution and negativity and yeah and and, pro- and and also not the the framework for the next conflict inevitably yeah. of you know that yeah. animosity right. and that punishment punishment mentality and yep yeah you know. yeah so we're starting to create a pattern together that says this is not good and and I don't want to interact with you because one of us is going to end up wrong in trouble and so on so so the opposite is instead to use the aim frame. And by the way, this isn't something that I made up. This is something, of course, that I've learned along the way as well. Um, but so let the same situation, Joe and Mary are having a conflict about something and I'm getting involved. And so instead of asking what's wrong, I ask what happened. Now, let's be really honest, Dave, what are they going to tell me? Still the same thing. They're probably, probably going to tell me a lot of the same things. But what's different is, is what's in my head. In my head, I'm trying to understand what are the facts. And if I'm asking what happened, that will help me stay on the facts. And when other junk comes in, I can say, hey, hang on a minute. That's not what I need to know. I need to know how do we get to this situation? What would what, we do that got us to this spot? And what was the first question in the blame frame again? So the it blame was, starts with what's wrong. What's wrong. And this, so this is much more of a, by saying what's happened versus what's wrong, this is much more of a neutral, I'm just collecting information versus I'm looking to assign blame like it says you know so it's that orientation just by changing that one word yeah and and again you're you're changing your own head about the situation as well Um, so once we've talked about what happened the second question then is well what's the goal Mm. and and again that goes back to what we were saying earlier we don't always think of that so let's imagine that um, what's happening here is mary is trying to solve a customer issue by putting a quick Band-Aid fix on it. And Joe is trying to uncover what really is the root cause and is trying to get a long-term solution in place. Okay, those feel like very different goals, um, very at odds with each other, right? Well, what's the real goal? The real goal here is to solve the customer's problem. (laughs) Yeah. Right? We're trying to get a solution for a customer. We have very different ideas about what that is, these two people do. But the real goal, so we can state that and say, well, okay, so what's important here is to try and have a happy customer in the end, right? So that takes us to the third question is, okay, so what are our options? Well, in this case, we can put the Band-Aid on it. We can do the long-term solution. But what if we do both? Or another option is call the customer and ask what he or she would prefer, right? And so... Now we can do some brainstorming together of some of the possible options instead of arguing all day about my way, your way, my way, your way. But it's hard to get past that only two options to argue about unless we step to that higher level goal. Sometimes we have to get to, you know, what's good for the department, what's best for the company, what's, you know, best for the world, you know. So what's happened, what's the goal, and then what are our options or what what are we going to do going forward? Um, very much forward-minded versus the blame frame, which is, you know, who did what and right. what, whose fault is it kind of a yeah. thing. 
And so in theory, at the end of the aim frame, we have a solution to move forward with. Now I have people say to me, but Susan, don't we really need to find out who who did something wrong? Somebody may have really done something wrong and don't we need to fix that? Yeah, we probably need to do some root cause analysis, but let's say we figured out that you, Dave, did something that caused the whole process to go sideways. Well, we don't go beat you up and punish you. We go back and say, okay, how do we create a situation where this won't happen again? But and, it feels- and, and, and you can be part of helping us figure out how we avoid having the same issue come up again. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there, there's the tendency because it feels good to, forgive the term, it feels good to punish sometimes. Like from a from a management leadership standpoint, yeah. I mean, I'd I'd be lying if it I didn't say as a parent. There's sometimes when it feels good to take control of a situation and say, you know, you did this and you need to <laughs> you need to atone for this thing yeah. you've done, and uh, but it doesn't really resolve the issue long term. I mean, it it's it's just when I approach situations like that, and and it, it tends to come back. It tends to not really resolve the situation. Same thing in the workplace. Same thing in the workplace. It's going to come back. And so how do we focus on problem solving together versus figuring out who screwed things up? <laughs> well, and this is, this, is a good, uh, this is a good look at now, what do we do? Because there are some behaviors that I know that help people merely make the positive impact that, that they want yeah. in the workplace when thinking about and navigating the 20% of our time that we are dealing with conflict, and some of us more because... That's just the nature of the role we're in. Uh, what are some of the behaviors that y- you teach people and are coaching people on that you found is, have been really helpful to frame their thinking? Yeah, so one of them is get your head in a, in a aim frame space, right? Get your head full of positive words. So enter the conflict, being very clear about this is an opportunity to find solutions. Um, and, and with that, you know, Dave, and we've probably, you, I, there are probably tons of your shows that include this. We need to move more to an active listening space. Mm-hmm. I, I'm amazed how often I get involved helping people resolve conflicts when the reality is they just haven't heard what the other person's point of view is. And so they just keep pushing their own agenda and not listening to the other one. So that's a very basic, and we can all say, gee, we should just do better job of active listening. Yes, and we probably need some more tips because some are probably already working on trying to do that. Um, Well, and that gets right back to the what's happening question too, or what happened is really listening to the answer. I think that's the key point there is it's not just a, I'm just, I'm not just asking that to ask the question and then, you know, check the box and move on. It's like, I really want to understand the perspective that this person's bringing about what happened and then bring the other perspective of what happened uh, it's like anytime you talk to a, a police officer about a traffic accident and there were three witnesses, there's always three completely different stories, even though they t- they all saw the same accident happen. Right. And they really approach in those interactions with what happened, what did you see, and then just collecting information. And if, if we can put ourselves in that mindset of just understanding each person's unique perspective yeah. that they're bringing, then we're a lot more positioned to, um, to be able to... Uh, understand what we can do next. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and so maybe the, the next one to, to talk about as a, an important tip is to identify assumptions you might be making. Um, I've got a little story I think helps us think about that. So I want you to imagine that you have two children, which by the way, in your case is true. Um, and each child comes to you and says, daddy, I'd like to have an orange. 
So you say, great, you go to the kitchen and there's only one orange. What are you likely to do? Split it in half. I mean, most of us would cut it in half and hand each child an orange. So, okay, so the one child takes the orange, takes the peeling off, and eats the orange, the half orange. The second child takes it and gets out a, a grater and grates the orange peel into a cake that he or she is making and throws away the inside of the orange. So... Each child got a half an orange when each child actually could have gotten a whole orange. What would it have taken to figure that out? Asking what they wanted it, what, what they wanted yeah. the orange for? Yeah, what, what are you going to use the orange for? We Instead of assuming if I asked for an orange, it'd be because I wanted to eat one. I don't make cakes with orange rind in it. Some people do. And so instead of bringing our own perspective and assumptions, we really need to figure out how to ask about those. What assumptions am I making here? Or even to say out loud to the group, now what assumptions are we making here about this situation? Not always easy, but important to get that out on the table. I have learned from making this mistake so often over the years, Susan, that whenever someone asks me a question that's kind of out of the ordinary, either from a client or a colleague, and it's not immediately clear to me why they're asking the question, I've learned to discipline myself and to not just answer it and to step back and ask, oh, that's interesting. What's prompting the question? And 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 I did this, uh, I remember a week or two ago because someone had asked something and I was like, that's weird. If they do that, that's almost going to make the situation worse. Um, and I found more often than not, if I will take a step back and say, you know, what's prompting this question? Then all of a sudden, we end up uncovering something that's very different than just the question shows yeah. on its face. But because earlier in my career, I would just do that. I would someone ask a question, oh, let me help. Boom. I, you know, I like to be a helpful person. And so, and, but I wouldn't really think of like, wait a minute, what's, what's even generating this question yeah. in the first place? And I've, um, that has really helped me of having that orientation. That's a perfect question to be able to ask. The other one I will do is to say, when somebody brings up something or asks a question, say, well, tell me a little bit more about your thinking there. So it's the same, trying to elicit the same thing as your what prompted that, but I'll just say, say a little bit more. Yeah. (laughs) Or give them a nice, if I'm face to face with them, give a quizzical look that says I need, I I need more. Yeah, Um, yeah. So, so one of the things I think we need to do is a bit more of that. Instead of assuming we know what they want or why they want it or why they said that or where they're going with it, ask. Yeah. Where's this? Where's this going? What, mm. what prompted this? Is really a nice, really a nice phrase to use. So, so another thing that I think comes into play that can be important for our behaviors is to focus on what we really need versus what we want. So I've got a, 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 a little story I like to use with this one too. So imagine I wake up in the middle of the night and I think, ooh, I want a ham sandwich. Go downstairs to the kitchen. There's no ham. There's no bread. There's no mayonnaise. We, we, I'm clearly not going to get a ham sandwich. So I go back to bed without having had a ham sandwich. What I wanted was a ham sandwich. What did I really probably need? Some kind of a snack. Something to eat because... You want to... Because I was hungry. You're hungry and you want to get back to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So my real need is hunger. And if I had gone into the kitchen and said, what I need is something to eat to relieve my hunger. 
any number of choices. There's all kinds of things in the kitchen that could take care of that need. And what happens in conflict is we get focused on what we want and what the other person wants. And when those aren't compatible, we just think we have to fight until one of us wins. So we're back to the, what I want is to put a bandaid on this. What you want is to put a long-term solution in place. But what do we really need? We really need a solution that the customer will be happy with. <laughs> yeah. And, and who knows what that might be, right? We might not even be able to identify what that is again, without talking to that customer. So asking ourselves, what will that get me? sometimes can help us get closer to what the real need is, right? What will a ham sandwich get me? It'll get me my stomach to stop growling, right? Yeah, and I, I think that a lot of times we can see ourselves doing the I want, I want, I want in our personal interactions and fa- with family and kids and friendships even. And yet sometimes when we get in the professional environment, we assume like, oh, I'm in a professional environment. I don't do those things. <laughs> so we still do. We use different words and language and we sometimes do it a little more passively, passive aggressively than we would otherwise. Um, but there are many situations I can think of in the past where certainly there's been something I've wanted and I've approached it from that framework versus thinking like, what do we really need to solve the yeah. problem or to solve the customer's issue? And most situations, there's compromise to be made there, if not changing the entire strategy of how we're approaching a situation to really address the need. Exactly. And that's key. That, that's absolutely key. Of how do you be flexible to do that? Interesting. So now, from a conflict standpoint, I mean, one of the things that is a reality for so many of us is that we're working more um, virtually and we're working, you know, a lot of the, certainly the leaders listening to the show are working within teams. I know one of the things that you help leaders navigate is how to handle conflict within a team too. And when those things come up, um, what are some of the considerations when you're thinking about conflict in a team environment? Maybe there's two or three or four people involved that are helpful for us to think of when we're thinking about some of these you know, one of the first things, Dave, I think we need to remember when we're in the leadership role, right, whether we're the team leader or the actual manager is if a team is in conflict, I don't care what individual skills the people in the team have, the team itself does not have the skill yet to manage their way through the conflict. And so you need to take an active role until the team has learned to do it on their own. If you go way back to one of our earlier episodes, we talked about forming, storming, norming, and performing. If you've got a storming team, they really need you to take the lead on helping them work their way through the conflict, whether it's two people in the team or 12 people in the team, right? So I think that's the first thing we have to remember. We have a role to play uh, until the team is able to do that on their own, which takes them some time to learn. Can I say something about that too? Because I think you said something there that's really key is it, it doesn't sometimes matter how talented the individual contributors are because I think that there's an assumption sometimes of like, oh, we've got these however many people in the room and we've got two to three people that are really talented leaders or really good at handling conflict. And yet, it's been my experience too that that isn't enough because of the roles or because of the right. politics around the organization or the team that those people may not choose to engage and do the things they know how to do or even recognize that they can help in those situations. And so it really is incumbent upon us to not make the assumption that, oh, just because so-and-so is in the room that this is going to handle itself. I, it, exactly right on that. Sometimes it's a it's the personality issue comes up too, right? So it's just the, or the who died and left you 
boss, right? Why, why are you trying to help us as a group figure this out? You're not our leader, right? So, so as the leader, you need to be able to help the group because they probably can't help themselves. So that's the first thing um, to do. The, the second thing, I think it goes back a little bit to where we started with the aim frame is bring the group together who's having the challenge and have everybody individually identify what are the events that brought us to this moment, of this conflict that we're having mm. and have them individually jot their thoughts down and then share that around the room. You might right from the get go find out that not everybody sees this situation the same way, or maybe people don't even know how they got where they did. And so having that rational conversation, if you will, about what got us to this place to begin with can really, really be helpful and, and staying away from what was what I intended or what my motivation was, but what did what really happened? What did people say or do that brought us to this spot? And and we're back to active listening. And then everybody needs to actively listen to what everybody else said. So it, it becomes facilitation as a leader to be sure that each person's voice is heard. Everybody needs to be heard and facilitating that opportunity for each person. There's some real strengths and I, I think some wonderful, wonderful things that have come out uh, over the years of us transitioning more to virtual teams, or at least some of the things more of us are doing virtually. I, I think one of the uh, downsides and challenges is I think when you don't see someone on a regular basis, or maybe you don't see the daily things that they're navigating as much, is uh, for me at least, I, I'll just speak for myself. There, there's a tendency to not as understand as clearly the what happened piece, and to make assumptions more so. And so I was thinking as you were saying that, I was just thinking of some of the things I've seen recently and, and teams I've been involved with of just going around and and people getting an understanding of what happened and what's going on and what are people working on and what are people doing. That in a conflict situation can be really helpful, especially for a virtual team, because there isn't as much of the opportunity for some of that to happen naturally as it was a generation ago where we were all in the same building, even if we weren't talking to each other each day. You know, you had the water cooler conversations, yep. those kinds of things. And and that that's a, we have to be a little more intentional about that than we used to be. I, I think intentional is always an excellent word to use when we think about the virtual environment, because we we don't get those casual comments when we're standing at the copier and I see what you're copying and say, oh, I didn't know you were working on that. And suddenly we get into a really good conversation about what we're both working on and so on. Um, Yeah, we've got to be intentional and and make space for people to be heard. And it's a little more challenging to facilitate virtually, but you can do it and, you know, get some software where, you know, you can all see each other or use hand raising things or something so that you can really facilitate a good conversation. I'm curious, uh, as you've worked with teams over the years and leaders uh, who have navigated this fairly well. I don't think you ever get to a point where you're totally comfortable with conflict and you've, you've got it all figured out. Um, but I, I do think I've, I've seen many talented uh, leaders who have gotten much better at this and are very effective and very proactive at handling conflict. What are the things that for people in that category for you, Susan, that you've seen, what are the things that they've done that have really you've seen make a difference, not only for them, but for their team and their organization. When you think of people, you know, are just masterful at doing this. Uh, well, a couple of different things. One of them I, I, I've seen that I think works really well is once, you know, you kind of got the team talking about where, how do we get here? Ask them how a third party would view what's going on. 
How would our customers describe what they're seeing happen in our team? Or how would the next department over describe what's happening in this situation or what's important? So, so getting a third-party perspective without even having to bring in the third party, but just say, hmm, let's imagine for a minute we are this other individual or this other group. How might they be viewing us? And that gets the group to step outside of their, themselves and the stuff that's happening within them and start to look at it at a bigger perspective and recognize that other people might be being affected by what's going on in the team. So that, to me, that one's always a great one. The other one, well, two others that I'd really like to share. One is a, a serious focus on shared goals and in a positive way. What, what really, why are we a team? What brings us together? What's important? What do we care about? And, and a positive goal, not our goal is to crush those other guys or to be better than, you know, department B is or that kind of thing, but something really positive and inspiring. And the leaders who can pull that together and get the group really committed to a positive um, common goal, then, then you have that to go back to. Well, we really care about this. So if we care about that enough, then then it's worth resolving our conflicts, mm. right? Because then that helps us get this other thing that we've all agreed we want. Nice. And and then the third thing that pops into my head as we're talking about this is the the leaders who've really done that have spent time when conflict isn't happening, helping their group really get to know each other, building those relationships. Um, so I know more about you and what's important to you and what your strengths are and what you contribute. And again, in the virtual world, we don't know a lot sometimes about our colleagues unless we overtly spend time on those relationship building kind of conversations. Um, or whether we use some tools like the Strength Finder together or any of the personality tools or any of those. Doing some of that work together when we're not in the middle of a conflict gives more space for... I'm more likely to give more space to my colleagues to be different and to hear their point of view if I feel like I know them. It's so easy to throw someone under the bus when they're just an icon on a screen right. or a name in the inbox and you don't really know a lot of who they are. Maybe you've met them a few times or maybe see them once a month yeah. or whatever. But when you have that relationship and you know something about them, then it becomes... it. it be, our, our tendency is to give that person a little more of the benefit of the doubt. Like, okay, <laughs> we're having this conflict. And yet I know this is not a crazy person and that they, you know, they care about this company and I know yeah. something about them personally. And so how can I give them a little more of the benefit of the doubt? And that's huge. Huge. That's so huge. That's so huge. Well, and, and point you make there about they're not just an icon or, you know, this void, this email that's coming across. The other thing, people who are really good at managing conflict manage it outside of email. Mm, the amount no. of conflict that we generate because we are arguing in email about something is really a problem, yeah. right? And so those of us who say, uh-oh, this is going somewhere and stop and pick up the phone or schedule a time to talk if we might be in different time zones or something, we've got to keep it out of email. I think I've said this here before, and if I haven't, I'm going to say it today. Email is a fabulous information sharing tool. It's a horrible communication tool. And yet we try and resolve conflicts that way. It just doesn't work. Yeah. I, I, I think uh, having a rule for all of us is anytime something starts to get complicated over an email chain is to, to discipline ourselves to stop and say, okay, let's pick up the phone. Let's uh, set the meeting. Let's do something other than, or at the very least, 
and I've been, I've had at least in the last week or two, I made them some mistakes just to stop responding until, <laughs> until you can pick up the phone. Even if it's not possible to do that right at that moment, yeah. I've just let it sit in the inbox for a few hours. I mean, this is something that's really hot. It has to be resolved, but most of the time you can let something sit for a few right. hours and let the emotions cool a little bit and revisit it the next day or pick up the phone. And, and that's so much better than getting into the back and forth. Cause then you, then that's so hard to come back from. Like we were talking about earlier, then you've got that history of like, okay, we had this big blow up over email and this thing. And yeah, we sort of worked through that, but next time, what, how are we going to navigate that? Which is hard. Uh, the, the other thing that I, uh, I've seen the people you've worked over the years who have done a really good job with being proactive on this is thinking about team development yeah. and how to, how to connect well with their team and how to really be proactive. And you and I are huge believers in this, of course, of, and, and, and as are the people listening to the show of how do we be proactive on our own leadership development? One of the things that Susan has done, that's a fabulous, uh, with David Hutchins, uh, by the way, who was, has been on the show a couple of times as well, uh, talking about storytelling is they've put together a fabulous resource for leaders and teams and facilitators and organizations to help teams to be more effective. And I've seen Susan use these over the years with some of our clients, and they're just fabulous as far as um, as far as the resources. And so I was wondering, Susan, if you could say a little bit about what you and David have created for those who, who haven't heard David or you talk about it before, and where folks could go if they're looking for more information for it. Great. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Yeah, so we created a product we call Go Team, And Go Team is just 18 individual modules for team development, each two to three hours in length. So a variety of topics. There is one about resolving team conflict. And sometimes that's what I use when teams have in conflict. And sometimes I use the one building on differences, or sometimes it's time to build team trust. So all these different topics about meetings and decision making and creativity and all the things that teams need to do. Uh, And so you get a facilitator guide and you get a participant guide for everybody in the team and you facilitate them through a couple of hours of learning about how these topics, but also they generate something real. So for example, if you were to do the uh, resolving conflict module, they actually, besides learning about the aim frame and the blame frame and doing the negative and positive words, they actually work through a real conflict that the team is having. So obviously it needs to be facilitated, but they get a process as part of the materials that then they can use again and again. I, I, one of the things I love about this model is the tendency a lot of times when an organization's looking knows they need to do some work around team development and leadership development is to um, hire someone or even build an entire curriculum around it. And there is a time and place for doing that. And, it's, and it is a really important thing to do long-term for some organizations. For a lot of organizations, that's not necessary to do and spend the time and expense of doing that. And um, you and David have created this curriculum. It's it, you can you can use it, and if you have someone who's a trained facilitator, they can pick it up and get to use it, get comfortable with it very quickly, yep. and use it within your organization very fast. Yep. So uh, that's what I love about it. Yep. Um, if, if folks wanted to learn more about it, we've had a number of people in our community who have used uh, the resource before, and it's fairly it's 
fairly inexpensive too. I mean, compared to what you would pay <laughs> to oh, yeah. custom creation oh, of yeah. uh, curriculum, and uh, you and I know how much that costs because we've both done it. Where would folks go if they want to find out more or learn yeah. more about the curriculum? We've got a nice website, goteamresources.com. And through that, actually, you can get a little more information. There's a lot of information about the product in there, but also uh, you can contact me easily that way. Um, send me an email. We'll start talking. We'll pick up the phone. We'll Skype if we need to, if, if you're out of the country or whatever we need to do to talk to you about how we might be able to help you with some of the challenges you're having with your teams. Susan, I really appreciate all the value you brought to the show and uh, how much of uh, Go Team you've always brought to us. And uh, and thanks uh, for your friendship and all the support you've given us over the years. I'm uh, I'm really excited uh, for uh, for your journey and everything you're doing professionally. And uh, thanks for being a resource to all of us. Hey, love the opportunity to be with you, Dave. I appreciate appreciate the time. My favorite model from this conversation is Susan's aim frame. What happened? What's the goal? And what options are there to move forward? I love that model. I've used it many times myself and certainly with clients over the years. Thank you, Susan, again. As always, the resources and links and the notes of all the key points will come in the weekly leadership guide. If you're not already getting that, you can also receive that in your inbox every Wednesday after the Monday show, and that will give you access to all of that, the show notes, plus the resources I found online during the week, uh, resources from others, podcasts, articles, videos, things that I think will support you in your leadership development. The best way to get access to that is to go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And when you do, for the first time, you'll also get immediate access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you to get better results from others. So again, that's at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And I mentioned up front that Susan has been on the show a number of times before and three episodes, in fact, that Susan joined me on in the past that are all related to today's topic and specifically are related to leading teams well. If you are leading a team or uh, perhaps even if you're starting to lead a team or just about to begin to lead a team, these are really critical listens for you. The first one is episode 138, the four unique types of teams. Susan and I looked at the four different kinds of teams that there are out there. Uh, it's a really, really simple but also powerful model of looking at the ways different teams are organized. I'd certainly encourage you to check that out. In addition, episode 139, right after that, how to maximize team performance. And then finally, episode 192, Susan and I sat down a while back and talked about how to create team guidelines. Again, if you're leading a team and you haven't thought through those things, it's really valuable to spend some time checking those out. And again, the best way to get access to those is just to go to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number. Of course, those will be in the weekly leadership guide this week as well. So check those out. And next week, I am pleased to be able to welcome executive coach Croft Edwards to the show. He is going to be joining me to help us all discover how to get into Leadership Flow. You may have heard about the book Flow from Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. It's a popular book. We're going to talk about Leadership Flow next week. So join us for that conversation. Also, thank you to Elalia Barr. I hope I said that right. In Sweden, thank you for the kind review on iTunes. And also thank you to Alan247 here in the States for the kind review. Uh, Alan mentioned that he's grateful for pointing out the 
past episodes that are of value. And I've heard that from a few other folks as well, too. So I'll keep doing that. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alaria, for the reviews. If you'd like to leave a rating or review for the show as well, thank you in advance. You can visit coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes to do that. Have a fabulous week and see you next week for Leadership Flow. Take care.